Imagine that you'd like to escape a stressful situation at home. You decide to go for a run to calm your nerves. At first, you feel pent-up energy. Then, after a while, feel calmer overall. Things are going well until all of a sudden, you inadvertently run into a long patch of ice. Your speed has increased abruptly and significantly, with little time for you to adapt. What initially felt calming is now making you feel anxious. You no longer feel in control of the situation and your safety is at risk. In this analogy, we can liken alcohol to the pavement and withdrawal to ice. The speed of running is the activity of your nervous system. In the setting of alcohol intoxication and withdrawal, the body gets used to higher and higher levels of ethanol until it loses its capacity to function normally without it. This cycle can potentiate until the patient loses access to alcohol or feels there's no choice but to stop drinking. The resulting clinical picture can be dangerous and requires medical attention. Today, our patient is in alcohol withdrawal, and you are the doctor. Welcome to the Internet Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled, What Speeds Up Must Slow Down, Alcohol Intoxication and Withdrawal. Let's start with the physiology underlying alcohol use. Ethanol potentiates the activity of the neurotransmitter GABA at GABAminergic receptors in the central nervous system, causing sedation or downing effects including fatigue, confusion, feelings of sadness, and respiratory depression. Ethanol also inhibits the activity of glutamate at its receptors, which indirectly increases dopamine, associated with feelings of euphoria or stimulation. Due to disruptions in higher cognitive functioning caused by these neurotransmitter changes, social disinhibition is frequently seen. The vast majority of ethanol is metabolized in the liver via alcohol dehydrogenase. This enzyme converts ethanol to acetaldehyde, a toxic compound that is then converted to acetate for clearance. The capacity of the hepatic system to metabolize alcohol, involving hepatic CYP2E1, can become saturated quickly. CYP2E1 upregulation due to chronic alcohol use can lead to increased generation of NAPKI, a hepatotoxic metabolite, in the setting of acetaminophen ingestion. The concept of tolerance is important in understanding withdrawal. Tolerance is defined as requiring more of a substance to elicit the same effects. With repeated alcohol use, ethanol continues to potentiate the effects of GABA, so GABA receptors downregulate or decrease in number. Additionally, ethanol continues to inhibit glutamate, so NMDA receptors upregulate or increase in number. These changes in receptors lead to central nervous system hyperactivity, causing withdrawal symptoms. In this sense, it is helpful to conceptualize alcohol withdrawal as a sympathomimetic toxidrome, with symptoms including nausea, vomiting, diaphoresis, tremors, and seizures. On another note, benzodiazepines exert a similar effect as alcohol on GABA receptors and reduce central nervous system excitability. However, they do not inhibit glutamate, which limits their effectiveness and can contribute to escalating doses. Alternative agents in the right setting, such as phenobarbital, have shown promise in the treatment of alcohol withdrawal because they both potentiate GABA and inhibit glutamate. Now that we've reviewed the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. 
you have been asked to see a 30-year-old man in the emergency department with suspected alcohol withdrawal. It's important to start reviewing his vital signs and checking his airway, breathing, and circulation. Patients with acute alcohol intoxication are at an increased risk for respiratory depression and coma, while patients in withdrawal have a lower seizure threshold due to relative loss in GABA activity. As well, they may have co-ingested other substances that predispose to seizures. In situations where a patient is obtunded or seizing, the priority is to stabilize the patient, secure the airway, and transfer them for critical care level monitoring. Withdrawal can present with a wide range of symptoms, from mild agitation and tremor to seizure and delirium tremens, a state of altered mental status and sympathetic overactivity. Timing of withdrawal can help prioritize symptom complexes. Starting from the last drink, symptoms can develop within 6 hours, seizures within 12 hours, hallucinosis within 24 hours, and delirium tremens classically within 48 to 96 hours although they can occur up to 7 to 10 days later. Risk stratification of withdrawal syndromes plays a crucial role in determining the safest disposition for a follow-up or if requiring admission on a general internal medicine ward. Severe cases warrant higher level care and monitoring, for example, level 1 or 2 ICU, as escalating doses of sedatives may require advanced airway monitoring and management. If it's safe to proceed with a history, ask about how much and what kind of alcohol he drinks, when he consumed his last drink, how many days per week he drinks, how long he can go without a drink, any history of binge drinking, the duration of his alcohol use, any co-ingestions, especially acetaminophen given its potential for hepatotoxicity, and other substance use. For context, one standard drink is equivalent to 12 ounces of beer, 5 ounces of wine, and 1.5 ounces of distilled spirits. The risk for alcohol use disorder increases when women consume more than one to two standard drinks daily, or men consume more than two to three standard drinks daily. Ask about recent seizures, nausea and vomiting, tremor, palpitations, gait instability, falls, and hallucinations, visual, tactile, or auditory. In addition to routine questions about past medical history and noting conditions secondary to alcohol use, inquire about the history of complicated withdrawal with seizures or delirium tremens. It is helpful to ask what has happened with previous attempts to stop drinking and whether he's ever sought medical attention for withdrawal. On exam, start by seeing if the patient is alert and oriented by assessing his level of consciousness and airway. Vital sign abnormalities in withdrawal can include hypertension or hypotension, tachycardia, tachypnea, and hyperthermia. Examine the patient for evidence of any other toxidrome. Patients experiencing delirium tremens will be confused, agitated, and have features of sympathetic overactivity. Examine him for features of head injury, nystagmus, cerebellar dysfunction, tremor, and any signs of trauma. If there was a recent seizure or aspiration event, there may be features of respiratory distress. With chronic alcohol use, the patient may have stigmata of chronic liver disease. Patients with substance use disorders are frequently impacted by stigma. Asking why a patient has been drinking or what prompted them to stop drinking can help strengthen the therapeutic alliance. These patients can also be at a high risk of leaving against medical advice. From a safety perspective, it is prudent to ask 
that they communicate with you if they are contemplating leaving, so that an outpatient follow-up plan can be arranged if they are capable of making the decision to leave. Critical investigations include CBC, glucose, electrolytes, urea, extended lights, creatinine, anion gap, serum osmolality, liver enzymes, liver function tests, serum ethanol, acetaminophen, and salicylate levels, given the possibility of co-ingestions, and an ECG. The electrolytes, glucose, urea, and ethanol level should be drawn at the same time to calculate an osmolar gap, which is helpful in deciphering whether other toxic alcohols are involved. Note that there is no cutoff ethanol level below which patients will develop withdrawal. In other words, a patient's ethanol level may not correlate with the severity of their withdrawal. Alcohol intoxication and alcohol-related malnutrition are associated with metabolic derangements, including hypoglycemia, ketoacidosis, hypokalemia, hypomagnesemia, and hypocalcemia, which can all cause arrhythmias. If the patient has altered mental status or history of falls, it is important to order an urgent CT head, if it is safe to do so, to rule out an intracranial hemorrhage. Alcohol increases the risk of subdural hemorrhage through venous dilatation. Furthermore, a history of falls from the patient may be unreliable. If there is a history of aspiration or seizure, as well as fever and hypoxia, then the diagnoses of pneumonitis, pneumonia, or complicated paranomonic effusion should be investigated, including a chest x-ray, and treated with empiric antibiotics if appropriate. All patients who are being treated for potential alcohol withdrawal should be closely monitored in a validated clinical assessment tool. For example, the Clinical Institute Withdrawal Assessment for Alcohol Revised, or CWA-AR, protocol. Recognize that these tools have significant limitations, including insensitivity, operator variability, and need to be coupled with close clinical reassessments. This protocol goes through a list of alcohol withdrawal symptoms and physical exam findings, including tremor, anxiety, agitation, hallucinations, and altered sensorium to quantify the severity of their clinical status. If the patient's score is above a particular threshold, typically 10, there are directions for nursing to administer a benzodiazepine either orally or intravenously. Diazepam in doses of 10 to 20 mg orally is typically used in the CWA protocol. In patients with cirrhosis, lorazepam is often recommended since the belief is that its phase two metabolism is less impacted by advanced liver disease. However, the degree to which diazepam's metabolism is affected is uncertain, and the longer half-life of diazepam is often beneficial in managing patients with withdrawal. When a patient presents with severe withdrawal symptoms in the emergency department, they are typically given diazepam 5 to 10 milligrams or lorazepam 1 to 2 milligrams IV Q5 minutes until calm. Severe withdrawal with seizure or delirium tremens warrants intravenous therapy, as well as care in a monitored setting given the potential for escalating doses of benzodiazepine and consequently need for potential airway protection. Patients with severe withdrawal will likely require a minimum standing doses of intravenous benzodiazepines in addition to the CWA-AR protocol every hour. The treatment of severe alcohol withdrawal is challenging. The traditional use of benzodiazepines becomes especially difficult as escalating doses warrant attention to airway, particularly when adjunct agents, example phenobarbital or propofol, are used. 
As the patient's symptoms start to improve, check how frequently they're requiring CYAR triggered doses and reduce the frequency of CY until their doses are consistently low, keeping in mind the time since their last drink to gauge their highest risk period for delirium tremens. The CY score is quite labor intensive. However, when making the decision to discontinue the protocol, keep in mind that the highest risk for severe withdrawal and delirium tremens is 48 to 96 hours after the patient's last drink, and remember, in some cases, within 7 to 10 days. A patient can look misleadingly well when they first present and then decompensate a few days into their admission. Err on the side of caution until the patient is outside this window. Remember, it is possible to reduce the frequency of the CWA protocol without discontinuing it altogether. Lastly, if patients were started on standing benzodiazepines in addition to symptom-triggered therapy, they may require a tapering schedule. In addition to managing acute withdrawal, it is important to consider other conditions associated with alcohol use, including malnutrition, dehydration, pancreatitis, and liver disease. Given the risk of developing Wernicke's encephalopathy, a triad of confusion, ophthalmoplegia, and gait instability arising from thiamine deficiency, patients should be given thiamine 100mg IV at minimum and a high dose of 500mg IV TID for three days if the patient is confused. Dextrose-containing solutions and a multivitamin are also typically administered. In hypoglycemic patients, it is important to give thiamine before dextrose to avoid worsening encephalopathy, although this is a theoretical concern and risks of hypoglycemia should be tended to urgently. Furthermore, it is crucial to correlate electrolyte abnormalities and volume resuscitate patients as needed. If the patient has significant transaminitis, they may be having an episode of alcoholic hepatitis. Remember that acute alcoholic hepatitis is a clinical diagnosis, and a MADRI discriminant function is not a diagnostic test, but rather a risk stratification tool. In patients with a high MADRI score, their risk of death may be improved with steroid therapy in the first 28 days, but studies have shown that this benefit does not persist at one year. The decision to use steroids is controversial and should be determined on a case-by-case basis only with hepatology input if available. Outside the acute window of interventions, it is important to explore the patient's underlying reasons of drinking and whether they're interested in reducing their alcohol intake or stopping altogether. There are often various mental health concerns underlying a patient's alcohol use, including a history of depression or trauma, and they may warrant psychiatric consultation. There are medications available to reduce alcohol cravings, for example, naltrexone, off-label use of high-dose gabapentin, acamprosate, and other agents. However, all of these drugs have their own side effect profiles, potential costs and coverage issues, and all require coupling with psychotherapy in order to be effective. Therefore, these agents require appropriate follow-up and counseling. If there is an addiction service at your institution, it can be extremely helpful to involve them for their expertise and to help arrange outpatient follow-up. Engaging the patient's social supports is also critically important in this regard. In 2018, JAMA released a rational clinical examination systematic review entitled, Will This Hospitalized Patient Develop Severe Alcohol Withdrawal Syndrome? This review identified which demographic, historical, clinical, and laboratory features could help predict risk of developing severe withdrawal syndrome, 
defined as intense autonomic and psychological symptoms and withdrawal seizures, delirium tremens, or both. Some individual findings increased likelihood of severe withdrawal, including history of delirium tremens, three or more seizures during the present cessation attempt, younger age, concurrent substance use disorder or mental health condition, systolic blood pressure above 140, blood alcohol level above 43 millimoles per liter, BUN above 9.3 millimoles per liter, platelets below 150, elevated GDT or AST, and low potassium. Ultimately, these individual findings were less helpful in identifying patients at risk for severe alcohol withdrawal than composite measures. The review found that the prediction of alcohol withdrawal severity scale, PAUSE, best identified patients at risk. The PAUSE scale consists of one point for each of the following. Intoxication within 30 days, history of treatment for alcohol use, previous withdrawal symptoms, blackouts, withdrawal seizures, delirium tremens, co-ingestion with other downers, co-ingestion with any other substance of use, blood alcohol level above 43 millimoles per liter, and evidence of autonomic hyperactivity. A score above 4 is both highly sensitive and specific for developing severe alcohol withdrawal syndrome. Thank you for listening to today's episode, What Speeds Up Must Slow Down. Please take a look at our website, www.theinternetwork, for an associated infographic. If you are interested in this topic, we will be releasing an episode on alcoholic cardiomyopathy next, and we have an episode on chronic manifestations of alcohol use in the works. This episode was written by Dr. Nikita Kinran Singh and reviewed by Dr. Peter Wu, Internal Medicine and Clinical Pharmacology Toxicology Specialist, and Dr. Gillian Spiegel, General Internal Medicine Specialist. The Internetwork series was created by Alex and Lai, developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karanopoulos. This podcast was produced and recorded by Zara Morali. Music production by Laxman's Zavantamoha. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.